Thanks for listening and subscribe today for our new Substack newsletter. That's Michael Medved's context placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies. number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a a great day when a very popular movie from 20 years ago, yeah, it really is 20 years ago, is now back in a musical format. Uh, Yes, also written by Tina Fey as the original was. We're talking about Mean Girls. Is it worth your time and your entertainment dollars? We will be reviewing it uh, later this hour on The Michael Medved Show. And uh, also the idea that Republicans have a choice between a tie, uh, that would be between Trump and Biden, or a guaranteed a guaranteed landslide with somebody else. That's a point made by uh, Mark Thiessen, we will be analyzing that also on the MedVet Show. But talking about the year ahead, what are the biggest dangers facing the United States and facing the world? Uh, Ian Bremmer, who's been a guest on this show frequently before, is an American political scientist. He's an author and an entrepreneur faced on, focused on global political risks. And he's the founder and president of Eurasia Group, which is a political risk research and consulting firm. Uh, Ian, thanks again for joining us. Uh, looking ahead to <laughs> the 11 and a half months we have left to go of 2024, yeah. Is uh, this uh, emerging conflict with Iran, which uh, brought 73 strikes on Yemen last night by U.S. and British forces, is uh, does the war with Iran uh, represent the largest risk? It's right up there. Uh, I mean, we put that as number two, the idea that the war between Israel and Gaza uh, would not stay contained largely to that territory. And, and part of the reason here is the Iranians know. I mean, unlike when Trump hit them hard and killed Qasem Soleimani, the head of the defense forces, the Iranians understand in an election cycle, like they get into a fight with the United States and the straits are shut down and oil is 150, 200. That's a global recession. Biden loses. And, and clearly they feel like they can continue to provide enormous amounts of support to all these proxies in the region to directly attack not just civilian ships, but American servicemen and women. And, and that is step by step bringing us closer uh, to a metastasized conflict uh, across the region. U.S. efforts at deterrence, Michael, against the Houthis, and there have been several of them, we can go through them if you want, at every step they've failed so far. And uh, do you think that this uh, step is also likely to fail in terms of deterring the Houthis from interfering with uh, global commerce? Absolutely going to fail. Um, it is, uh, it's a much bigger set of attacks. Five Houthi fighters were killed. Some of their military capabilities were degraded. 
Uh, but I think there's nothing that's going to stop them at this point. They believe that they have the full support, military support, diplomatic cover from the Iranians. They're also trying to improve their lie uh, in an eventual ceasefire negotiation to end the civil war in Yemen. And the more symbolically they are shown as supporting the Palestinians and fighting against the Americans, especially while the Gulf state allies sit on the sidelines like the, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, the more influence they have internally in Yemen. So there are a lot of reasons why it's very unlikely that, you know, this time we really mean it and they're going to stop. I'd be stunned if that was the case. And uh, what uh, would the would the war where where would it be fought if there is an emerging conflict with Iran? Um, well, right now there is a conflict with Iran and it's being fought uh, in Syria and in Iraq and in the Red Sea and with skirmishes in the northern uh, front between Israel and Lebanon vis-a-vis Hezbollah. Um, that, that, that's where it is being fought. Now, there's also a question of whether we're going to see more terrorist activities against uh, Americans in the region, and maybe more broadly than that. And that's certainly something that also could emerge on the back of all this violence. And you also list as one of the leading risks that we face in the United States and in the world is the partition of Ukraine, which you say would be an unacceptable outcome for Ukraine and the West. Uh, Why will that become reality with resistance from the United States and our allies? Because politically, the United States has become much more divided on willingness to continue to send U.S. taxpayer money uh, and weapons uh, to help the Ukrainians defend themselves and to take their land back. The Germans uh, had a constitutional crisis where they're not allowed to spend and redeploy money for COVID that they didn't spend, and that's going to make it harder for them, the largest economy in Europe, to keep providing support. And, I mean, other countries, the U.K. just offered $3 billion today, but no one's going to be able to fill the hole left by the United States. And that's even before Trump gets the nomination in the U.S., someone who considers Zelensky a political enemy and wants to end support, promises he'll end the war in a day. So, I mean, I do think that the Ukrainians are going to have a harder time uh, taking any of their land back and, and indeed, even defending their remaining territory. You know, um, when the war started, the average age of a Ukrainian recruit was 26. Today, it's in the mid-40s. Uh, there are only 44 million Ukrainians, and, and this war is just getting harder for them to fight. So I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting I want Ukraine to be partitioned. Not at all. I just think it's increasingly inevitable. And, and the question is, what happens when that becomes obvious to Zelensky, when he has no other choices? Does he become more desperate? Does he take greater risks? What happens with Europe and NATO? Do we start to see divisions with the Hungarians, with others aligning more with let's start working with the Russians again? Why are we spending all this money in this forever war? And there are a lot of ways this could go. This could go much more badly. And you list as the biggest risk for the United States being the United States versus itself. And you believe the election season, which uh, really kicks off with the Iowa caucuses Monday, will test American democracy 
to a degree that the nation hasn't experienced since the Civil War. What's likely to happen that is so risky in this upcoming election? Well, the fact, the backdrop that Americans increasingly just do not trust their institutions, and I'm not just talking about the presidency, but all three branches of government and the church and public schools and the mass media and social media. It's really hard to maintain a democracy in that environment, especially when Biden supporters and Trump supporters really don't share basic facts. They live in completely alternative and competitive information environments. That makes it much more dangerous to hold a free and fair election and to have a legitimate transfer of power, especially when the people that lose feel like they are uh, facing really serious challenges. I mean, if Trump loses, there's a good chance he's going to jail. Um, If Biden loses, there's a belief on the part of Biden and his advisors that Trump would work to politicize the IRS, the FBI, the DOJ, and go after them, investigate them, uh, try to indict them, put them in jail. I mean, you know, that that's not an advanced democracy. That sounds more like Peru, right? And and the reason that this is the top risk is not because I fear civil war. I don't. It's not because I fear the U.S. is going to become a dictatorship. I don't believe that either. But I do believe that the U.S. losing its consolidated democracy and becoming a hybrid system, um, given that the U.S. is by far the most powerful country in the world, its strongest economy, its strongest military, so many countries rely on it, and the global backdrop is so dangerous right now compared to 2016-2020, that's why this is the top risk. Uh, Ian Bremer. Fascinating and important material. You can read more at our website. Go to michaelmedved.com. We will be right back. Medved Show, uh, there is a um, uh, Washington Post uh, editorial that's actually been run across the country by Mark Thiessen, uh, who's been a guest on this show several times. And Mark is a former speechwriter for President George W. Bush. The headline, which is one of those headlines, <laughs> you have to read it when you hear the headline. And the headline asks a question. It says, you have a choice this year, Republicans. Do you want a toss-up or a landslide? And obviously, um, most people who are committed to the Republican Party and committed to the Republican Party winning for Senate seats and for House seats and for governorships and up and down the ticket, of course you want a landslide. Because if there is a toss-up, uh, as we know from past experience, it is tough for Republicans to do well. If you have a landslide for the presidency and you have somebody who has coattails, well, uh, Mark Thiessen writes, Joe Biden is the most vulnerable incumbent in modern presidential history. He has the lowest approval rating recorded for any president since the end of World War II. He has double-digit disapproval on every issue voters say is important to them. 
Yet despite Biden's unprecedented vulnerabilities, Donald Trump is currently leading him by how much in the real clear politics average? It's 1.2%. That means it's a statistical tie because the 1.2% is well within the margin of error. The Republican frontrunner should be crushing Biden's in the poll, but he's not. Why? Because Trump is nearly as unpopular as Biden. Right now, Trump benefits, writes Mark Thiessen, from having been out of the daily media spotlight for the past three years. But as his trials begin, and he starts to campaign in earnest, Americans will be reminded of why they threw him out in 2020. And why Biden won the popular vote by 7 million. And as they do in every presidential election, the polls will tighten before November. Trump's current narrow lead among now some Democrats panicking that Biden might lose. In truth, it is Republicans who should be panicking that Biden might win. It doesn't have to be this way. That's what Mark Thiessen says. The election will be decided by a few thousand swing voters in a handful of battleground states. Democrats were shocked by the results of a November New York Times-Siena College poll that showed Trump narrowly leading Biden in key battleground states. Well, that same poll showed that Nikki Haley was defeating Biden by seven points in Arizona compared with five points for Trump. He was, uh, she was beating Biden by 10 points in Michigan, compared with 5 points for Trump, 10 points in Pennsylvania, compared with 4 points for Trump, and 13 points in Wisconsin, where Trump loses by 2 points. The poll also found that a majority of swing state voters view Trump negatively. Do Republicans want a nominee these voters will have to choke down their bile to vote for? Or do they want a nominee they can enthusiastically support? Numerous polls show Haley defeating Biden by double digits, the only GOP contender with such a lead. A December Wall Street Journal poll finds her ahead of Biden by 17 points, 13 points more than Trump in the same poll. Haley also leads Biden by 10 points in the December Messenger Harris X poll and 12 points in the November Marquette poll. Now, this is poll after poll after poll. Is there a message the American people are sending? Yeah. The choice is simple, says Mark Thiessen. One GOP candidate is neck and neck with the most unpopular president in modern history, and one crushes him. Ask most Democrats which Republican they fear most as a GOP nominee, and the answer is always Nikki Haley. And yet Republicans seem poised to nominate Trump. The one candidate as unpopular as Biden. Now, instead of ads, the weapon of choice is lawfare. Trump has been charged 91 times at the federal, state, and local level. To put this in perspective, the Unabomber faced just 13 charges. And in states across the country, local Democratic officials and left-wing activists are trying to use a 14th Amendment provision to kick Trump off the ballot. Trump's support among Republicans grows stronger with each, each legal assault on him, which is exactly what Democratic leaders want, because they believe he is the easiest GOP candidate to beat. Republican voters need to decide. Are they going to go and fall for this trap? 
Is avenging Trump more important than beating Biden? The stakes could not be higher. Biden is the most disastrous president in my lifetime, writes Mark Thiessen. And if he wins, chances are that he might not complete a second term. Just look at how he has declined over the past three years, how his gait has stiffened and his ability to answer simple questions has declined. If Biden is reelected, it's likely that Kamala D. Harris will assume the presidency. As Republicans begin to caucus and vote, they have a choice to make. Choose wisely, and we could have the red wave Republicans hoped for two years ago. Choose poorly and get ready for a second Biden term. Now, does that make some sense? It would seem to, because one of the the key elements of getting a victory here is making this an election that's not just about Biden, it's not just about Trump, it's about a choice. And given the fact that both Trump and Biden are so familiar and people <laughs> dislike them both, wouldn't a fresh face be a good idea? Well, that fresh face is going to be cold in, uh, in Iowa when the caucus takes place on Monday. Uh, Ron DeSantis is in Iowa and speaking to volunteers. And he referenced some of the climactic challenges they're going to be facing. This is clip 11. I'll ask you for your support on Monday. I know it's going to be cold. Uh, I know it's going to be um, um, not the most pleasant, but I don't think you'll ever be able to cast a vote that has more impact given the circumstances. We don't know what the turnout's going to be. It could be much smaller than what it's been in, you know, in the 16th cycle. That's possible. So if you're going out and you're bringing four or five different friends with you or family members, uh, that is going to pack a punch in a way that voting in a general election uh, just simply would well, again, given the uh, the very difficult climactic conditions, uh, they are predicting that for 7 p.m. on caucus night, and of course you're supposed to go out to the caucus at night, uh, the wind chill factor will uh, lead to temperatures of minus 28 degrees, far colder than any caucus since 1980. Um, by the way, you know who won the Republican caucus in 1980? It wasn't Ronald Reagan, actually. Uh, we will get to that and to much more, including a review of the new musical version of Mean Girls opening in theaters today. From politics to pop culture and from coast to coast, this is The Michael Medved Show. And the Michael Medved Show is live every day from uh, noon to three Pacific time. That's why we're live right now as I'm speaking to you, as you're hearing it. And uh, it's uh, also live from uh, three o'clock until six o'clock Eastern time. And it's been that way for <laughs> close to 30 years doing the show. 
And uh, it is that way continuing in this eventful new year of 2024. You can be part of all of that, uh, either listening to the show live, streaming it live, or downloading it on demand uh, at a time that's convenient for you. And you do that in a commercial-free environment uh, by becoming a MedHead member. And uh, just go to michaelmedved.com, look for the banners. And right now there's a special going on for the early weeks of 2024 uh, where you get 20% off for a limited time. And that's particularly great deal if you become a MedHead Plus member because as a MedHead Plus member, you get to stream any and all audio programs for sale in the Medved History Store, that's um, much more than a hundred different hours of uh, information and, yes, entertainment. Uh, because, for instance, the American Revolution series that we have that covers almost uh, week by week the progress of America's struggle for independence, that and the origins of the Middle East war between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Uh, that's been a very popular Medved history program. All of that is available uh, for free uh, when you become a Medhead Plus member for which there's a 20% off special going on right now. Uh, check it out at the uh, michaelmedved.com or you can go directly to the uh, Medved History Store. Uh, meanwhile, concerning history, uh, the, <laughs> the no one is going to go back and look in time capsules for the debate that occurred this week just past the debate between uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, uh, both of whom are, are good people and both of whom I think would be capable presidents. I do. And in fact, a number of people looking at the nastiness between the two of them, and, and it's not a joke, uh, immediately thought, yeah, well, what about that? What about that as a ticket? Uh, and uh, again, uh, would that be an interesting ticket? It would be hard to imagine uh, them working together after some of the hostility. But uh, then again, there are stranger things that have happened, and some of the lists of uh, Trump's uh, possible running mates, including Marjorie Taylor Greene or Tulsi Gabbard, who until the day before yesterday was a Democrat, uh, and uh, Carrie Lake, who, by the way, just had a very good poll in Arizona where she's tied for the U.S. Senate seat. So it may be better for Republicans for her to continue that race. Uh, it could be a three-way race, but nobody knows yet whether Kirsten Sinema, the incumbent senator in Arizona, is going to run for re-election. In any event, Larry Kudlow was uh, on uh, Fox talking about the GOP debate and Trump's town hall. The town hall, of course, was on Fox. The debate was on CNN. And uh, uh, here's what Kudlow had to say about those two political extravaganzas. Clip seven. Donald Trump had a big night last night at the Fox town hall. He looked and sounded presidential, stayed on message with key policies. While Nikki Haley 
and Ron DeSantis spend two hours frying each other's brains out with no purpose whatsoever. Very few people watched that debate. Those that did probably walked away in a foul mood. My guess is, it's just my guess, Mr. Trump gained a lot of votes in both Iowa and New Hampshire, while those two lost a lot of votes in Iowa and New Hampshire. Okay, we will see how that works. The polling doesn't necessarily show that. Of course, it's uh, still more polls to come uh, with the debate having just occurred on Wednesday. And uh, meanwhile, there is some question about the uh, impact of some of the legal proceedings against Donald Trump. There's been a general assumption that the worse things get for him in a courtroom... Uh, the better they get for him as a candidate. And I'm not sure that's necessarily true watching some of the unfolding at the very end of the fraud trial with Judge Ergeron and where we're supposed to be having a judgment which could be a $370 million penalty and bans on future business dealings in New York if, as widely expected, President Trump actually loses in in that particular trial. Uh, This is Norm Eisen, who's a legal analyst on uh, CNN, talking a little bit about the impact on Trump's business if uh, he does lose in that case. This is clip nine. What's the risk right now for the Trump organization? Well, it's substantial, Wolf, including that when all of these trial and appellate proceedings are concluded, it may no longer be called the Trump Organization. Uh, It's not just the massive uh, over $300 million in financial penalties uh, for the wrongdoing that the attorney general is seeking, but there is injunctive relief. This judge has already ordered, it's been stayed pending appeal. This judge has already ordered uh, some of the remedies that uh, can be referred to as a corporate death penalty. Trump and his sons not allowing to participate in the biz- in the business, not allowed to do other business, to take loans for a period of time, uh, perhaps putting a receiver in charge. If all of that comes to pass, and if it holds up on appeal, and I think the judge has been careful, like with those Eric and Don Jr. comments, he's showing balance. If it holds up on appeal, this could be the end of the Trump organization as we have known it for all of these years. Okay, but that doesn't mean that's the end politically, uh, because obviously uh, President Trump uh, has put uh, priority on his political future rather than his business future. He was asked uh, about uh, having the Iowa caucuses coming up Monday and then a big event that Trump is scheduled for New Hampshire on Tuesday. He's questioned, is he going to go back for the second E. Jean Carroll case, which is scheduled for Wednesday? Uh, This is uh, Trump's response to a reporter, clip three. Yeah, well, that's another one that's uh, sponsored by Reed Hoffman and some Democrat operatives. I never saw this woman in my life other than they have a picture with her and her husband, uh, John Johnson, a nice guy who was a newscaster many years ago. I remember him and she said horrible things about him uh, since. I mean, horrible, horrible things, called him bad names. Uh, I have no idea who this woman is. I have absolutely no idea. The whole thing is ridiculous that 
this is even a case. This should never have happened. But again, this is sponsored by the Democrats. It's another case, all sponsored by, it's a demeaning kind of a thing, and that's what they want to do. It's called election interference. And yeah, I'm going to go to it, and I'm going to explain. I don't know who the hell she is. I have no idea. They called me up years ago, and they said, do you know about this woman 25 or 30 years ago? She doesn't even know the date, the time, the month, the season. She has no idea. And if you read it, if, if you watch, take a look at the Anderson Cooper interview of her. And if you take a look at that, Trump is so innocent. But we have been given a very unfair trial there, too. I don't get very fair trials in New York. Okay. Um, meanwhile, there is another issue, and one issue that I think should unite people. South Korean lawmakers this week outlawed the breeding, slaughter, and sale of dogs for human consumption, a centuries-old practice that is now unpopular and rare today. A dog meat was much more common when South Korea was destitute. Uh, but now they have a big entertainment industry. With war and politics uh, consuming so much of our attention and producing so little in in the way of uh, good feelings or reassurance about the future, uh, I wish everybody a um, uh, a feeling of uh, a break uh, for this weekend. Coming up to the Martin Luther King holiday, coming up to the Iowa caucuses at the beginning of next week, uh, we should all take a few moments to remember how wonderful it is to live in this country and to actually have a chance to participate in some of the decisions that this country is in the process of making for itself. Uh, we will continue to talk about that, but uh, first up, there's a big new movie, which is a remake of a classic that is really beloved by a lot of people from 20 years ago. The latest from Hollywood. Okay, there is uh, one smaller movie that we're covering, uh, and it's actually a film that's gotten a lot of film festival response and impact, and it's very artfully done. It's called All of Us Strangers, and uh, it's about a lonely uh, London screenwriter who uh, can't seem to... <laughs> draw a definitive line between his dream life, which is very uh, vividly portrayed on screen, and uh, reality. And uh, one of the things that happens is he is a, uh, a single gay guy who meets another guy, played by Paul Mescal, who may be a durable love interest. But then again, he has a problem uh, with his parents who don't seem to understand his life. Uh, and uh, the mother is played by Claire Foy. Uh, the movie, well, sounds like this. Now it's time for... Oh, okay. Uh, the, the, the film 
which uh, is rated R. It has some very graphic uh, sex scenes. Again, it's very artful, and some of the dreamlike sequences are well enough done to be disturbing. But uh, the the movie takes you nowhere, and you. Uh, you don't really want to uh, be part of either the dreams or the reality for the main characters. The film sounds like this. This is real. Does it feel real? Our boy's back home. Our son. Look at you. You were just a boy. But now you're not. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think that matters. I've always felt like a stranger in my own family. I'm always scared of something. Always running away. Do you remember? It's funny. It doesn't take much to make you feel the way you felt. Okay, uh, one of the things that is uh, problematic in his relationship with his parents is that they've been dead for 30 years. And uh, <laughs> the, whether they are real or ghosts or what, uh, that's not giving too much away because uh, the, the film blurs the answers as well as the questions it's rated r for some very uh graphic and detailed uh, gay sex scenes uh two stars for all of us strangers which is uh receiving a claim for its artistry but not for the levels of satisfaction it provides. A film that will do much better with the public is Mean Girls. The original Mean Girls came out in 2004 with a script by Tina Fey starring Tina Fey as a high school teacher who's sort of the voice of the audience or the vision of the audience. And it starred Lindsay Lohan as a math whiz, uh, Katie, who... Uh, uh, has been homeschooled living in Africa and she comes and discovers that her North Shore High School which is supposed to be Evanston, Illinois uh, is actually dominated by very mean yes, that's the title, Mean Girls uh, by very mean and unforgiving cliques that uh, make war with one another. The new film is different because it's based upon a stage show uh, with music. Uh, the music was actually written by Tina Fey's husband, Jeff Richmond, who does the job here again. This is full of songs, uh, all of which are catchy and well choreographed by uh, an enthusiastic core of actors and dancers. Difficulty is the you can't really understand the lyrics because they come at you so fast and if you don't know them by heart you're not at all clear what they're actually singing nevertheless uh, the the movie has energy and some pizzazz mean girls may I have everyone's attention please we have a new student what's up Katie are you trying to make the rest of us feel dumb I'm not trying to, it's just happening. Dear God, woman. Get in, loser. Regina George is a scum-sucking life ruiner. Why is he by our table? I can hear you, by the way. Can you hear me now? We're gonna make her pay. Girls are made deranged by what's called hormones. W-H-O. What is going on? Uh, what is going on? Well, uh, people who are familiar with the first film will know what's been going on and will enjoy some cameos. Uh, and Tina Fey looks amazingly unchanged in 20 years, and she's a likable screen presence. Uh, 
the uh, uh, and, and despite all of the energy and despite the uh, apex predator uh, who's uh, the character named Regina George as she was in the first film is played by Renee Rapp who actually wrote some of the songs that are used in this film the the uh, most biggest difficulty with it is that the transmission or the transfer from talking uh, dialogue to actually people bursting into song at uh, the shortest of notice, uh, that is a little bit clumsy in this version. So that the biggest laugh involves one of the characters, I won't tell you which one, where you just know they're sort of going from talking to all of a sudden you're going to hear them sing and the character thinks better of it and goes back to normal speech which is a little bit of a relief because you can understand it better the movie is a rated pg-13 with references to sex and drinking and uh, other things that uh, some teenagers some places do and uh, it's rated PG-13 and which is probably a fair rating uh, it's also it seems to me fair to give it two and a half stars uh, you can f I feel nostalgia for the prior film but I think that uh, because the music is such a, uh, a jittery distraction in the film uh, to the two and a half stars is not going to make you forget about the original Mean Girls that people cherished uh, coming up on Monday it is the Martin Luther King holiday and Martin Luther King in addition to everything else about him uh, was a man of God he was a preacher and now there's a new trend which is called churches without God question about how do secular congregations and yes they are increasing all across the country fill a need for non-religious Americans we'll be talking about it also a shocking report that uh, in the Wall Street Journal the teens who use marijuana are suffering from intense psychosis at a, uh, a rate that is concerning a lot of people about the pot affliction and addiction uh, that occurs around the country. Uh, there's also reporter Chris Saliza who has declared war on a, uh, an athletic hero who has uh, meddled in other issues beyond uh, the gridiron. Okay, now you know what sport. Uh, who is it? We will talk about that on uh, the Michael Medved Show. Also, flying in America, there have been a series of horrible events that uh, have gotten the public's attention. Thanks for listening, and subscribe today for our new Substack newsletter. That's Michael Medved's Context, placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies.